We are so excited that you're listening today. At New Hope Church, we are committed to making fully devoted followers of Jesus. This week, continuing our series entitled Summer in the Psalms. Summer comes with fun and great music. Whether it's the Beach Boys, Jimmy Buffett, or the latest music on Spotify, songs define the summer. This summer, we're looking at the ultimate playlist. The Book of Psalms was the main source of music for the people of God for thousands of years. It contains the ups and downs of people's faith. One thing remains constant. God is in control. Join us this summer on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. as we come together to understand what God has to say through the Psalms. Yes, it's black, but it's also made out of a material called vinyl. Now, we'll get to that in just a second, but if I hold it in the light, you can see the ridges. You can see the grooves. Now, this is what plays the actual music. And if you're sitting there going, how in the world does a record that was perfected 80 years ago, how in the world does that even begin to produce better music than what we can accomplish today? There's a very clear reason why. It's because when they take the master recording of an artist, they go through a process where they prepare a mold specifically from that master recording. And what happens with this mold is they take it and they put it on a press. And they take what is called a puck of actual vinyl. And when they take this puck of actual vinyl, they put the mold down above this this puck. This literally, if you can see this, this middle section, it is no bigger than this. And they take heat and they take pressure and they just push down. And what's left are the indentations of that recording. And it is such a good match, it provides such a good sound that it cannot be replicated through any other means than this process. In fact, it's so good that it really has to be heard to understood. And if you'll bear with me just for a second, I would love for us to hear what a vinyl record sounds like. If I can get it to work, there we go. And the interesting thing is Psalm 3 gives us that image of what it takes, of what God does in difficult situations to mold and to shape us. 
Now, I know many of us wish that we were like that vinyl cup and it only happened once, right? Like if I could just be put in a press once, I would be good. But we know that in life circumstances, that things happen over and over and over again. And so I don't want you to think for a moment that this is just a one-time process for us. It happens over and over again in life. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 3. We also got fancy this week, and you can actually, if you have the Bible app on your phone, uh, then you can actually open that up, go to your menu, go to events, and you can pull up New Hope Church, and you can actually pull up all the notes for today's sermon on there. So if you look in your uh, look on your phone or your iPad, your, your Android device, whatever that may be, uh, you can find all of that there. And so as we read Psalm 3, I want us to understand this, that this is David crying out, and we're going to get to the context, but I want you to, but I want, if you have a Bible, please open up and read it with us, because these are such powerful words. Psalm 3 says this, Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many say about me, there is no help for him in God. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory <coughs> is the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord, and the Lord answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. Rise up, Lord. Save me, my God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessings be on your people. Let's pray. Father, as we take this time, and God, as we open your word, and we ask the question of God, how do you mold, how do you shape us? God, I just ask that we would be changed by you. That we would find ourselves so totally taken by you, God, that God, we are willing to give all our entire lives to who you are. That God, we would open our hearts to your spirit this morning and that we would be taught. And that God, if we feel uncomfortable because you're creeping into places, you're talking to us about things that, God, we need to change in our lives. That God, we would not retreat from that, but we would lean in knowing that you love us enough to show us our blind spots. Father, I ask that I would step back and you would step forward. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this morning, our major point, the point that we want to walk away today from understanding, is that God seeks to refine our faith in Him through life circumstances by teaching us three important lessons. Three important lessons that we can really grab a hold of in understanding how God molds and makes us. And we can spend a long time, we can spend months talking about this, but there are three things that specifically from this passage David talks about. Now, what's interesting is that before we get into those three points, we need to understand some context. When you read the book of Psalms, there's a lot of Psalms that are written by David. And they're written through a lot of life circumstances, through the lens of a lot of things that he is, that is going on in his life. And in this passage, in this chapter, if you uh, have a media Bible that has on the top, it may tell you that it's a, right under the chapter 3, it may say, a Psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. That is the greatest understatement in, in, I've ever read. Like, I read, I read this and kind of went, oh, that, that can't be too big of a deal. And then I read the story from uh, 2 Samuel 14 through 18 and went, oh, that is a lot more epic than I was expecting it to be. 
Now here's the thing, I'm not going to get into the entire story, but ultimately there was a major injustice done in David's family. This injustice was so great that the, the demand for something to be done was greater than anything I think David and Benguis had ever, ever experienced, except for when he, uh, when he had his faux pas with Bathsheba, right? And so here's the thing, is that he, there's this injustice. David gets angry. He is so incensed by what happened in his family, and he does nothing with it. He just lets it go. This leads to his son, Absalom, taking fit matters into his own hands and eventually getting the idea, you know what? I could be king of Israel. And so he decides, he gathers some men who are in a, a, to form an army that isn't happy with David's leadership and storms where David is living. David finds out about this and he runs away and he leaves and he literally leaves the area to kind of reassess and to kind of go, okay, what, are, what is my next step? And so as he does this, there's two things that happen that are really important for us to grab a hold of. The first is, is that when you read 2 Samuel 14 through 18, what you find in that passage is that David is David ascends the Mount of Olives. Like, I did not know that. Like, that's just Bible thing. Like, I have no point in saying that is so cool that how the Bible ties together because David is literally weeping in the Mount of Olives. And we find Jesus doing that in the New Testament. It's such a cool picture. But the reality is he ascends that and he, he has the Ark of the Covenant with him. And he looks back and he says, hey, take the Ark back to the Holy Mountain. Take it back to the tabernacle. Because if God wants me to come back here, I'll come back here. Another thing that happens is that as he's walking into the wilderness, there is this man uh, that stops him and says, this is on you. You did this to yourself. And David's men are so incensed, so angry at that this man would say this. And David looks at him and goes, he's speaking from God. I brought this on myself. And so he walks into the wilderness. This is a very dark, dark moment for David. What's interesting is that God's story takes some unexpected turns, doesn't it? How many of you have looked back even a year ago and your life looks very different than what you thought it would be a year ago. For good or bad. It's interesting that's how you make plans, right? If you look at my calendar, Megan's calendar, we have a shared family calendar we put everything on. We've had a vacation uh, to Northern Michigan planned for a year. And let me tell you, there have been multiple times in the past eight months where we've gone, I don't know if we're going to be able to pull this off because of life circumstances. If we can't even get away for vacation because we can't even proceed that far in advance, it's hard to assume that we know every part of our story for our entire life. Look at verse chapters or verses one and two. Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me, many say about me, there is no help for him in God. This is what David's people were saying. This is what people were saying about David. Remember, David had fled into the wilderness, and he had left the throne of Israel, and now his son is set up as king. And think about this for a second, is that everybody is looking at David and going, well, you know what? David must not be, must, God must not love him. God must not love him because he's not on the throne, he's not ruling, he's not reigning, he's not doing. So you know what? God doesn't love him. 
God doesn't care about him because of what he's done and the circumstances that have been around him. Now notice, David is the one who's saying, they say this. I don't know, have, have you ever experienced that? Maybe not from other people, but even in your own life. God, or something happens in your life, and there's this voice that whispers that says, you are not good enough. You don't have what it takes. I'm going to be the first to admit that's happened to me. Where that lie tries to seep in. Just like with David. Hey, these twists, these turns in the story of God, it means God's done with. That's some heavy stuff. That's some heavy things to be, to be told in your head or by other people. But what's interesting is that David says, this is what these people say. And this is what God says. And we're going to look at what God says. And I promise you, it's a lot happier. It's a lot better. Verses 3 and 4 tell us, But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mouth. So as we talk about God's story taking unexpected turns, how do we begin a process? How, or what are these lessons that we need to learn from God? What is he trying to teach us? Prayer, first off, moves our hearts towards total dependence on God. Prayer moves our hearts towards total dependence upon God. Notice that David is crying out in verses 3 and 4. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. Notice that in verse 4. I cry aloud. This is not David doing like that a nice Sunday school prayer. You know what I'm talking about? Where, you know, you, I don't know if you've ever been in the toddler preschool wing, but they throw their hands together and the hand goes out to your Jesus. Please let this fruit be good. And let me be really energetic after apple juice. Amen. That's not what's going on, right? That's not what's going on. Instead, he is crying out. He is begging for God to do something. Now, when we say begging, he is not waiting. He's not saying, hey, God, I, I, I absolutely need you to move. I, I'm in desperation. Instead, what it is is that he has a confidence in God that God is going to do something, but he's going to continue crying out because he knows God hears him. Let me ask you this. What does your prayer Can you say it with God with all certainty that you are consistently crying out to God? Because this isn't the first time we read that David cries out consistently over and over again. We see throughout Scripture that he is crying out, that he is expecting God to do something. To He is consistently connected to God through prayer. You know, I don't know about you, but many times prayer seems to be my last resort. Does anybody else sometimes do that? Like, you're like, okay, um, I've tried X, Y, and Z. You know what? I'm going to try the fire extinguisher, which is prayer. <laughs> Anybody else done that? I'll, I'll throw my head up in a heartbeat. And the reason I'll do it is because so many times God has had to break me to that. Because sometimes there is a thought that I can get in my mind that, God, you know what? I've got to do this on my own. I'm going to be a man. I'm going to have some man pride. And I'm going to try to take care of things myself. The reality is this, is that David cries out to God, but he understands something. He understands from verse 3, you are a shield around me. 
my glory in the one who lifts up my head. He understood that God is the one who is going to sustain him. And his prayer was something that continued to move his heart towards dependence upon God. Knowing that God would be there. That God would be the one that would guide him if he would only be willing to cry out. But here's an important thing is that for many of us, we can say, hey, Paul, I've tried that prayer thing. And God hasn't answered there are times we can feel that God does not hear us because we feel that we are alone. David would look, I think, at me when I thought that and say, oh, he answers me. Oh, he answers me. How do we know this? From verse 4. Look at the end of verse 4. I cry out to the Lord and, and he answers me from his holy mouth. Now this is important that that God or that David says this is because what this means is that this holy mountain is literally where the presence of God resided. And so as David is saying this, here's what he is saying: God sees me from a position of power, sees me from a position of seeing everything going on around me, to me, through me. He sees it all, and he knows what's best for me. Because here's the other thing about the holy mountain, is that this is also where David was anointed as king. Remember in verses 1 and 2? Hey, God's forsaken him. God doesn't hear him. God's not with him. But God is still answering David from his holy mountain. God is calling out to us. And it's something that we should always be mindful of, is that so many times our prayer life, is something that we can neglect because we are far more concerned with trying to do it ourselves. There are so many times that if we would bring it to God in prayer, he's waiting to answer us. And so my challenge for us this morning is to consider that. As we think about the prayer, our prayer moving our hearts towards total dependence on God, what happens when God answers our prayer? Maybe not in the way we wanted to answer him, or for him to answer us, but what happens when God moves? I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I've been going, I don't know what I'm going to do, God. I have nowhere to turn. I have no, I have no idea what to do. I've done the one thing that I swore I wouldn't do, which is wait until to pray last instead of first, and God still answers because he's faithful and just and true. And God just provides. What, what does that teach us about who God, God is? David answers us in that in verses, uh, verses 5 and 6. God's provision teaches us confidence in him. I want us to read verses 5 and 6. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Once again, verses 1 and 2. He has a lot of foes, the chief of them his son. He is living in the desert. This is not Motel 6 where they keep the lights on, right? This is a very painful place to be. And David just ups and says, yeah, I go to sleep and I sleep like a baby. Like, I don't know anybody else feels this way, but that just sounds uncomfortable, right? 
But there's something about David here that's so important for us to understand. Is that he lies down, he sleeps, and he wakes up again because who sustains him? Okay, let's try this again. Who sustains him? There we go. That's a little better. God is the one who sustains him. You see, David understood that God had not forsaken him. And because God had not forsaken him, then he will be sustained by God. Now, this word sustained in the Hebrew doesn't just mean, hey, just kind of keep him going, keep him on his feet. It is literally the idea of providing a foundation for something. That way it does not fall. So when you see this word, another way to put it might be, I wake up again because the Lord is my foundation for me. Because here's the thing that David understood, is that the reason he was rising and waking had everything to do with who God is, and the fact that God hears him, loves him, and knows him. And how did David know that he would be sustained? By God? Well, his life had been that. He was a poor shepherd boy in Bethlehem who had no aspirations of being king. And all of a sudden, a messenger comes to him and says, Hey, your brother, your uh, your father needs you because this guy named Samuel needs to talk to you. He shows up, what happens? Boom! He's now anointed to be king of Israel. That's I mean, he wasn't expecting that. That's just what God did. Then let's think about David and Goliath for a second. David walks in, his brothers look at him and say, hey, you just want to be here because there's going to be a war, there's nothing good on TV, <laughs> right? And he said, they say, you want that entertainment value? And David goes, no, I want to see what the enemies of God are saying. And he looks at Goliath and goes, I'll take him on. I got this. And he goes and picks stones up and he goes, I know God's going to be with me in the midst of this battle. And boy, did God show up, right? But David even saw God's grace in the midst of one of, of the sin that we know so well. <coughs> when he commits adultery with Bathsheba and then murders his best friend, God still loves him enough to forgive him in the midst of that. That provision of David has always had he has always seen this and so the reason he can look and say I, I went to bed and I rose again was because you know what God sustained me when we see God providing and being faithful to us in things and it doesn't mean it's our way of, of providing for us it doesn't happen exactly how we say then that gives us the confidence that God is who he says he is it means that as we go through tough circumstances, what it means is that we can look and say, oh God, I don't know why I'm going through this, but I know you're faithful and you have something for me. I'm going to be honest, there's been a lot of tears in this church the last couple of weeks. There's been a lot of pain. But you know what? There's been a lot of rejoicing. And why? Because we know God is faithful. How do we know he's faithful? Because he's proven it over and over again. Take a moment and consider that in your own life. Where have you seen God's provision? Has it been a provision where you needed a friend? We tell you, friends are golden. And I'm not talking about people that you're in church with and you have coffee with. 
but those people that you can live life with. Maybe the provision has been financial. God provided something for you that you didn't expect coming. Maybe he provided comfort. Maybe he provided whatever you want to say. But he provided for you, and you can look back and go, I know God has done amazing things and will continue to do amazing things because I've seen it. Lastly, we see it here in verses 7 and 8. Rise up, Lord. Save me, my God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. Note that David calls on God to arise and take action for his salvation. Now, this idea of salvation is not, hey, I need Jesus, so I need to make a decision. This is literally life and death. If my life is literally going to be saved, then I literally need God to do something. And sometimes when we talk about the idea of salvation, we talk about it as this one-time decision instead of seeing that God consistently saves us over and over and over again. Not saying that you have to, that you have to be saved, saved through Jesus multiple times. What I'm saying is, is that there are so many times where God is the one who pulls us out of our dark and difficult circumstances. That in that same way he provides, he rescues us over and over and over again. And this idea of rescue that we see in verses 7 and 8 is that David doesn't look and say, I'm going to rise up and I'm going to do. He looks at God and says, God will rise up. God, please do. For me as a, as a guy, I don't know about you, maybe it's just an American mindset. But one of the things that we can do is that instead of looking at God and going, God, please rise up for me and give me the words, give me what I need to do. Instead, we want to go, all right, boom, I know what I need to do. I need to know how I need to do it instead of seeking God first. The salvation of God, of him consistently providing for us and loving his people, it comes when our, our God rescues us when we are willing to give it all to him. You see, this idea of salvation that we see in this, look at verse 8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. Look at this. Salvation belongs to the Lord, not us. That means we have to let go and say, God, I don't know what you're wanting to do, but I give it all to you. Everything I am, Every sin, every struggle, everything I've ever done, good and bad, is all yours. Now what are you going to do with it? Let me tell you that for me, this is powerful words because this is a lesson I didn't learn until, until I was 21, 22 years old. And the reason it's so powerful to me is that one of the things that I grew up in a very broken situation. I grew up without a dad. I grew up in a single parent home. I grew up in a very dark set of dark circumstances that I hope no one ever has to go through. And what's amazing about going through those things is that when we go through dark and difficult times, there, there's a lie that can kind of just creep into our heads where we go, I can't do it. I'm not good enough. God can't use me. God can't use me for whatever reason. You fill in the blank. And it took God constantly reminding me and molding me and reminding me that ultimately that it's not me to rescue myself. It's up to him. 
And if I'm willing to give him who I am, then what happens is that beautiful things happen, which is he heals us. This morning, I have this question for you. What are you waiting on God to rescue you from? What is that deliverance you need this morning? That's a big question because there's lots of people in this room and there's lots of different needs. But I'm going to challenge us this morning to do something during our time of invitation. I'm going to challenge you to come up here and to pray. To put those words into action where instead of sitting there going, okay, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this situation, this situation. I'm not, I'm not sure how I'm going to handle my health or this doctor's appointment. I'm not sure what I'm going to do to pay the next bill. Instead, you bring it to God. There's something powerful that when we come forward and we pray, there's something powerful in that. Maybe you as a family need to come up and pray. Maybe about the decision that you have, that you're facing. Whatever that may be, I would challenge you to pray, to come up and pray this morning. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be eloquent. It could be just simply, God, I need help. This is what I need help with. I'm going to challenge, challenge you to take that step. If you're like, Paul, I, I, can't, I can't take that step because physically I can't or I can't kneel, that's totally fine. And so we're here with you, praying with you. And so as we do that this morning, I'm going to pray for us that the Spirit would lead us during this time of invitation. If you have a decision to make for Jesus, if you have questions about baptism, I would ask that you come up. Pastor Dave will be joining me for that. Um, I would ask that you, that you take those steps this morning. Because let me tell you, when we pray, when the church prays together, that gates of hell shake in fear. So let's do that together as a church. Let's pray. Thank you so much for listening this week to the New Hope Church podcast. If you live in and around Cape Coral, Florida, we would love to have you visit our church campus. If you would like some more information about us, we can be found at www.NewHopeCapeCoral.com.